So Harry goes, see, this is why you don't have an arch nemesis, Hermione. You focus on the wrong details. And Hermione says, maybe I don't have an arch nemesis because I care about my future instead of what some blonde twink is up to. And Harry goes, that's a pretty fucked up thing to say to me. <laughs> and if that's not Half-Blood Prince in a nutshell. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sotokar Review. I'm Madison. And I'm Daya. And today we are doing the very last part of the Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince book, chapters 25 through 30. Which, if you're keeping track, this is our fifth part. It, so it's a very long, a long series for this book. Yes, but I think, it, I think it's been worth it. So much has happened. Yeah. I think, yeah, this was going to need a couple bit. I would agree. But before we dive into content, we're going to start with our character and our spell of the episode. So our spell is Petrificus Totalis, which is a curse. It is used to paralyze a target, and the etymology of this spell is that in Latin, Petrificare means to make into stone, and Totalis means entire. The magic moment for this curse is that in Half-Blood Prince, Albus Dumbledore cast this spell on Harry non-verbally to prevent him from moving or speaking during the Battle of the Astronomy Tower. The spell was lifted when Dumbledore died moments later. It is also referred to as the Full Body Bind Curse. I feel like that's a spell that, like, would be terrifying to be to, put under. Oh, yeah. Like, I would not like that feeling whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I also find it interesting because, like, like you said, it's used, Dumbledore used it on Harry, and he just kind of freezes in place. But I think it's interesting how in the movies, like, in the first one, when they do it on Neville, he doesn't just freeze in place. They make like him, like, lock up, like, it, like a straight needle and falls over, yeah. Mm-hmm. An interesting It also choice. stops him from talking, which I guess makes sense because if it stops your mouth. Yeah, if you can't move it, mm-hmm. you can't. Yeah. That makes sense. Our character of the episode is Bill Weasley. First mentioned in Sorcerer's Stone, Bill Weasley is the eldest of the seven Weasley children and works as a curse breaker for Gringotts Wizarding Bank. He fights during the Second Wizarding War, survives an attack by the werewolf Fenrir Greyback, and has three children with his wife, Flora Delacour. And now it's time to begin the deep dive. So we're starting with chapter 25, and Harry and Ginny's new relationship is like the talk of the school, and Ginny, something I thought was funny, she mentions that Romil Devane asks about Harry having a hippogriff tattoo on his chest, and she clarifies that it's a Hungarian horn tail because it was much more macho, and then to make it even better, she told her that Ron has a tattoo of a pygmy puff, but she didn't say where. Slay Queen Ginny, that's so funny. However, even though they're in this kind of new relationship, they haven't been able to hang out a lot because she has owls, so rip that. And then meanwhile, Hermione has continued library sleuthing to like try to discover who the Half-Blood Prince is, and she finds a a newspaper article revealing that there was a witch at Hogwarts named Eileen Prince, and she says that maybe the Half-Blood Prince was a woman. And Harry, like, strongly disagrees. He just stands by the fact that, like, he just knows as a dude, and he makes a comment about how this girl's got nothing to do with it. Which made me chuckle for redacted reasons. (laughs) And then Dumbledore summons Harry to his office, and then along the way he encounters Professor Trelawney, who's a bit tipsy and a little bit confused. So she tends to, like, hide alcohol in the room of requirement, but when she just tried to enter the room, there was someone already else in there. So Harry obviously gets really curious about this, and he's like, oh, the person in the room was definitely Draco. And Trelawney tells Harry that the voice she heard seemed to be cheering, like they were very happy, and Harry's like, oh, you have to tell Dumbledore this story, like, immediately. So they set off. And then along the way, Trelawney's just, like, talking, chit-chat, and she tells Harry the story of 
um, being told the prophecy of the Chosen One at her job interview in Hogsmeade. Um, and that Snape, of all people, happened to be the one who was eavesdropping on the other side of the door during it. And this, of course, makes Harry absolutely angry. He goes into a blind fury and he's like, oh my god, it's Snape who's responsible for delivering the prophecy to Voldemort, which then led to the death of his parents. So he completely forgets about Trelawney and rushes off to Dumbledore's office and he's furious that Dumbledore has like never told him that it was Snape who overheard this prophecy. Which I think rightfully I would also be upset. Oh, yeah, I'd be really mad about it. Like, this person who's been teaching me is awful to me. Is the reason my parents are dead and you never thought to tell me that? So Dumbledore tells Harry um, that as soon as he gets there that he has found a horcrux and if Harry would like to come with him. And Harry, for a second, is like, yeah, of course I do. But Dumbledore can sense that, like, he's still angry about something. So when he asks him what's wrong, Harry tells him what he just learned. Dumbledore is like really quiet at first and then he begins to explain to Harry that the guilt that Snape has felt since having uh, about having a hand in the death of Harry's parents was tremendous and so yes Snape worked for Voldemort at the time but he soon after left the Dark Lord and he tells Harry that he trusts Snape completely. And of course Harry does not, <laughs> not in the slightest, which honestly, again, yeah, like, I get that. Because it doesn't matter that Snape felt bad after he realized that it was Lily that he was going after her, because A, he still joined the Death Eaters in the first place, and B, I know for a fact that if Voldemort had chosen Neville and went after Alice and Frank, Snape wouldn't have done a damn thing. Also, for, for Harry's point of view, Dumbledore didn't explain that I don't very well, I don't there was no explanation really of how much Lily meant to Snape. Yeah. So at this point, he's like, what do you mean he feels bad? Like, he doesn't like my dad. So I feel like at that point, Dumbledore's not doing a whole lot to convince Harry that Snape is actually on his side. There was so much more that he could have done to convince him, I think. Especially because Harry has seen the memory of Snape calling Lily a mudblood. So <laughs> exactly. why would he think for a second that he cared about Lily? You yeah. Know? Yeah. So this is... You know, in conclusion, fuck Snape, Harry's right. <laughs> um, so things are tense, um, but Harry eventually is like, no, like, I'm still going to go with you on this Horcrux hunt. So they kind of move past it, and he tells Harry to go get his invisibility cloak and meet him back in five minutes. So he goes to his dorm room, he packs up his things, and then he gives Ron and Hermione the Marauder's Map and the remainder of the Felix Felices, and he tells them to watch Draco carefully and to drink some of the potion Ginny too. Um, while he's away should like any harm or anything crazy happen. So Harry's like very clearly worried that Draco's joyful shout meant that something terrible is going to happen tonight. Um, and at the same time, Hermione is really worried that something terrible will happen in the Horcrux hunt. So everyone's just really nervous right now. But Harry explains to her that he's going to be fine because he'll be with Dumbledore, which is a line that I felt important to note for redacted reasons. <laughs> we will discuss it later. <laughs> for redacted reasons. Okay. <laughs> And starting off chapter 26, um, we are operating to the outside of a cave, um, which is pretty much inaccessible from a muggle standpoint, which means Tom most likely used magic to get himself and the other orphans into it, which is an interesting thing to imagine. Yeah, because I don't know, the more they think about it, like, how did they not... Like, I don't know, like, Dumbledore mentions, like, there's no way a human would get here without magic. So it's uh -huh. like, how did they explain that? Like, how they ended up in that cave in the first place? He says that, but they ended up swimming in anyway. Yeah, with a perfect breaststroke. <laughs> yeah, Dumbledore, Michael Phelps over here. So Dumbledore 
like, he puts his wand into his mouth, hops in the water, and starts swimming. You know, as a wizard does, because a human cannot do this. And Harry follows after him because he kind of has to. And Dumbledore eerily says, this is the place. And Harry's obviously like, how do you even know? And he just says, it has known magic. Okay. <laughs> He's so ominous this For entire what? trip. Yeah. <laughs> so Dumbledore locates the concealed door, which doesn't initially open with magic, but he comes to the realization it requires blood payment to open, which he low-key judges Voldemort for using because it's, like, tacky, I guess. He's like, really? And then he whips out a knife that he just had on him and says, says, we need to penetrate the inner place. And I hated that line. So not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate. Never, never. Um, I had to note it, though, because what the fuck? (laughs) Just never a good enough reason. So on the inside of the cave, there's a very large, very still lake that Dumbledore tells Harry to be careful not to touch. So Harry attempts to use um, Accio to retrieve the Horcrux, but something grabs it back into the water. What could that be? Who knows? So Dumbledore finds an invisible chain that is connected to a submerged boat. Voldemort placed this boat here as a means to retrieve the Horcrux should he need to, so the creatures in the water shouldn't attack it. So, as the boat arrive, like carries them to the island in the center, Harry sees a dead body with like open just eye sockets just drifting by, which obviously freaks him the freak out. Yeah. And Dumbledore assures him they don't have to worry about them right now because when they are floating peacefully, which at this point I'd be like, right now? <laughs> what do you mean, right it's now? even more ominous. And especially because he also keeps repeating, don't touch the water, don't, don't touch, touch the water. water. I'm like, what the fuck? What happens if I touch the water? He's also saying it so much that, like, we know eventually Harry's gonna fucking touch the water. Obviously. So they reach the island, and there's a glowing green stone basin on top of a pedestal, and this color is coming from the emerald liquid that's in this pedestal. So the potion they find out cannot be touched or altered with magic, so Dumbledore conjures this little crystal goblet to drink the potion. He theorizes that the potion must be drunk in order to get to the Horcrux. Very nice of Voldemort to put it in a very nice basin. Imagine if they walked in and it's like a keg. <laughs> you don't want a Yeah, Dumbledore's like, Harry, hold my legs. Hold my legs. <laughs> Please. Uh, Dumbledore says he isn't sure what the potion will do, so Harry must make sure that he drinks all of it. So he drinks a few goblets, um, but eventually almost drops it and pleads that he wants to stop, like he's in pain, like he's being tortured. Dumbledore screams as Harry gives him more and more. He pleads that they make it stop and they hurt him instead. So there's a lot going in his head, obviously. Yeah, he loses it after about the fourth drink, which is about when I go to. Yeah. (laughs) Generous. Hey! (laughs) Uh, Dumbledore rolls over onto his face and um, Harry uses... Uh, renervate or renervate. I don't. I don't know either. Renervate. Renervate yeah. on him, uh, causing him to wake up, and he's like, "Water, water." <laughs> Imagine a SpongeBob in that episode. Yeah, it's like, that's water. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> so Harry grabs the goblet under which a locket now lays, and he fills it using aguamenti. So we're like, "Okay, cool, aguamenti." There's water in there. Unfortunately, every time he fills it, the water disappears, uh, which is really frustrating, actually. So he's like, oh my god, where else is there water? The lake! So he takes this little goblet, grabs the water in, like, this little goblet to give to Dumbledore, and then he's grabbed by one of these corpses. Um, it's, like, holding on to his wrist, and he uses Petrificus Totalis um, on the Inferi, which, you know, that's what it is, and it releases him, only to be followed by many others. So they're not so docile now. Uh, Harry attempts to throw another spell, or other spells at them, but they're not being stopped. 
Suddenly Dumbledore stands, and he conjures fire and a big ring around them to protect them. Because, you know, Dumbledore did tell him that they would be, like, fearful of light and fire, and Harry was like, okay, cool, and then, like, promptly forgot. In one ear, out the other. Right over his head. So, and we're like, he's like, oh my god, I forgot, and Dumbledore's like, perfectly acceptable. Dumbledore grabs the locket, they ride in the boat back to the shore, surrounded by this ring of flames, and then Harry opens the doorway with the blood from a cut on his hand. Um, they swim back to the outcropping. Harry tells him it will be okay and he'll apparate them both back. And Dumbledore, Dumbledore says, I am not worried. I am with you. The redacted how, reason. <laughs> how cute. Yes. I, my question about this, can you not augmentia directly into their mouth? Does it have to go in a cup? Like, could he not open his mouth and be like, Aguamenti, and just pour it straight into his mouth? He definitely could, because later on, they use it to put out Hagrid's hut. Oh my god, true. So, again, this it is would just Harry. Maybe it would just, like, fire hose him, though. You know what I mean? Like, he's gonna waterboard him, but after he's already been drinking this potion. <laughs> Harry, what happened? Well, he passed out, I woke him up, and then I promptly drowned him by accident. <laughs> probably drawn him and then I died because I didn't remember what he said about the fire <laughs> they're talking to his ghost yeah they're talking to his ghost and well he wouldn't even be a ghost he'd be one of the inferior oh my god so true they just drag him in that's one of yeah. us oh my one god one of us <laughs> you are the worst <laughs> oh we get back to chapter 27 and upon returning to Hogsmeade, Dumbledore is, like, very weakened, and Harry's, like, obviously worried, so he tries to get Dumbledore to Pomfrey, but Dumbledore's like, no, I need Snape, I need Snape. Um, and before Harry can run off, Rosemurda comes out and informs them that there is a dark mark floating above the astronomy tower, so this means that Death Eaters have invaded the school. So Dumbledore and Harry rush to the tower on some of Madame Rosemurda's brooms, and Harry notices that the dark mark seems to have, like, ignited something in Dumbledore, who's, like, immediately more alert, despite his earlier weakened state. So they get there, they dump the brooms, and Dumbledore commands Harry to go and fetch Professor Snape, who is apparently the only person who can cure him. But before Harry can actually go do that, they hear footsteps coming up the stairs. So the moment before the door opens, Dumbledore wordlessly immobilizes Harry, who is wearing his invisibility cloak, which means that Harry is now hidden and can't move or speak. However, this means that Dumbledore doesn't have time to defend himself against an Expelliarmus spell that is thrown and his wand flies out of his hand. Dumbledore doesn't seem stressed, though, because he calmly just says, Good evening, Draco. Dun dun dun! I'd like to introduce you to Harry I Told You So Potter. (laughs) So, Draco is clearly, like, very shaken, but Dumbledore remains calm as Draco informs him that there are Death Eaters in the castle and that he did it all under his nose, as well as telling him that he has a job to do. Dumbledore knows that the job is to kill him, and he tries to, like, coax Draco into realizing that, like, he's not a killer. Draco fights back, saying that he doesn't know what he's capable of, and Dumbledore makes it known that he does actually know about his attempts to murder him and hurting Katie and Ron in the process. There's then a noise downstairs, um, and Draco is not acting, so Dumbledore takes his time for chit-chat, and he asks Draco how he even got the Death Eaters into the castle. And he tells him that he fixed the vanishing cabinet that Montague had gotten stuck in last year in the Room of Requirement, and says that it has a twin up Morgan and Burks, making the two a sort of connected pathway. Mm -hmm. Dumbledore keeps insisting that Draco is not a killer, and notes that he clearly struggled to fix the cabinet, thus leading to trying the necklace and the mead instead, even though there was a really slim chance they would work. 
And Draco says that that's true, but he still did it without Dumbledore ever suspecting him. And then Dumbledore says, well, actually, I did know. And Draco's like, Why'd you, why didn't you try to stop me? And he says that he had Snape watch him, but Draco, of course, insists that Snape is not actually under Dumbledore's orders, that he's a double agent, he's playing him, but Dumbledore, as always, maintains that he trusts Snape completely. You know, during this whole long, like, chit-chat they're having, because it's long. Yeah, they talk for a bit. It is a long time. If Dumbledore had just lifted the Petrificus Totalis, Harry could have easily disarmed Draco in the time that it's just the three of them, and then this whole scene would... (laughs) It would have been a, a moot point. Like, yeah. honestly, he could have easily disarmed Draco, and then Draco's wandless, there's nobody else there, give Dumbledore his wand, we're done. Exactly. Also, you wordlessly froze Harry without him knowing, unfreeze Harry, and then wordlessly freeze Draco. Like, that is so true. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> like, there's just so many different ways that this could have gone. He still needs his wand, though, I think. Does he? I don't know. Because wandless magic exists, and nonverbal magic exists. Can so you can do you nonverbal do and wandless? I was gonna though? say, I was like, I. Would they, are they like, wait, what's the word for when, are they mutually exclusive? That's I don't the word. know. I feel like, I feel like there's not a mention of being able to do both, but. I feel like it would be very clutch to be able to do both though. Yeah, that's true. you know, if you lose your, your want to expel the Armis and then you get hit with a Silencio, it would be nice to know that you can still defend yourself. If anyone could do it, it'd it be would fucking be Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, after some confusion from Dumbledore, Draco explains that he had Rosmerta do his dirty work um, under the Imperious Curse, and that he communicated with her using enchanted coins like the DA used, and that he also got the idea from po- for the poison mead from Hermione, who he calls a mudblood, of course. Dumbledore keeps kind of, like, taunting Draco, in a way, mm-hmm. about the fact that he has had a long-ass time to kill him and has yet to do it, which kind of makes Draco falter a little bit. And Dumbledore connects the dots that Rosemurda informed Draco that Dumbledore was out of the school because she saw them leave. And Draco tells him that she did, but that she said he was just going to have a drink and be back. And then I laughed out loud at this. Dumbledore goes, well, I certainly did have a drink. <laughs> this man is being he's held funny. at one point defenseless and he's cracking jokes. He's funny. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. That shit was so good. So they discuss the trap to set the dark mark so Dumbledore would think that someone died, which I find it important to note. Draco says that someone did die. He stepped over a body, but doesn't say who. Um, and that that would make her- uh, Dumbledore hurry to the astronomy tower so that Draco can kill him. And Dumbledore reiterates that you're not going to kill me. You haven't done it yet, so you're not going to do it. So he tries to convince him to leave Voldemort's side and to come over to the right side, but Draco says that he doesn't have a choice because Voldemort will kill him and his family if he doesn't. Uh, Dumbledore tries to like comfort Draco, say that he can protect all of them, um, and Harry says that he sees Draco drop his wand by a fraction mm-hmm. after Dumbledore says this. But before Draco can make a choice, um, other Death Eaters arrive on the scene. So we see someone named Amicus and Electo, the werewolf Fenrir Greyback, who grossly states that he wouldn't miss a trip to Hogwarts because he loves kids and has apparently taken to being half werewolf at all times so he can kill and eat because once a full moon isn't enough for him. Right. I hate Fenrir, bro. That is so disgusting. Gross. And then there's a fourth unnamed Death Eater. So the Death Eaters taunt Dumbledore and they urge Draco to like get it over with and do it. And they call him Dumby, which I just loved because that's what I call him in my notes because mm. Dumbledore is just so long to type. So when I saw Dumby, I was like, hey, I do that. <laughs> 
But it becomes clear that, like, Voldemort has given orders that only Draco should kill Dumbledore. Like, it's his task because all of them are urging him, but, like, none of them are actually taking action. But Draco is frozen and terrified, so he's still not doing anything. Then Snape arrives on the scene, and the Death Eaters inform him that Malfoy Draco is unable to kill Dumbledore. Dumbledore pleads with Snape in a voice that Harry says frightens him. And then he says that there was revulsion and hatred on Snape's face, which I find really interesting because, you know, from Harry's eyes, we're meant to think that it's because he hates Dumbledore and is going to be happy to kill him. But, you know, once, you know, you get the full story, you kind of realize that it's because he hates what Dumbledore is having him do. Mm -hmm. So I really like those pieces of the book like that when it comes to Snape's character. Like, I don't like Snape but I think his double agent and like the things like this that she puts in are very interesting to like look at yeah after this Snape raises his wand says Avada Kedavra Dumbledore dies and falls off the tower wall and I thought it was really like like a really like chilling line at the end of it was Harry's scream of horror never left him silent and unmoving he was forced to watch as Dumbledore was blasted into the air and everyone cheered I'm just kidding um (laughs) It is really unfortunate. Dumbledore is dead. That is... I remember the first time I read this, I was so shocked. Yeah. I think reading it in the book is so much more emotional than watching it in the movie. Just because you hear about, like, everything that's going through Harry's mind. I can't imagine, also, how terrible it was for Harry, again, to watch another protector or father figure die. And he can't do anything about it. And he can't do anything about it, so... That's hard. Also, the thing I get about this scene, like, talking about how if Dumbledore had lifted the the curse off of Harry, or if he had used nonverbal magic to stop Draco, all these ifs. So, I just never know. Do you think Dumbledore went into this? Was he stalling Draco because he really thought that he could get Draco to stop and then they could, like, get out of this? He would get out of this alive. Or was he just stalling Draco long enough because he knew Snape was going to come and he knew he wanted Snape to kill him? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I I think for sure, definitely he was waiting for Snape because mm-hmm. we know, you know, we'll find out later on, we know he and Snape made a plan because Dumbledore has his burnt hand, he was dying anyway. So he they had a plan and set for Snape to kill him because he was going to die anyways. It would secure Snape as Voldemort's right-hand man and it would fulfill the unbreakable vow because now that he's killed Dumbledore, Snape's unbreakable vow with Narcissa from the very beginning of the book mm-hmm. is fulfilled. He did it. Um, so I think that for sure 100% is part of it. But I do think a small part of Dumbledore was stalling to get Draco to agree. Because even Harry, who's watching this in the third person and who hates Malfoy with a passion, multiple times states that Draco looks scared, that he looks like he doesn't want to do it, that he dropped his wand when Dumbledore offered him protection. Like, if Harry can notice that, Dumbledore can as well. And as much as, you know, we can discuss Dumbledore as a character and his, you know, motivations and shit overall, I do think he does have care for his students, a very base care. And I think that he would, you know, with Draco in this position being 16, his life and his family being threatened by one of the most powerful wizards, Dumbledore having seen what Grindelwald did and seeing Voldemort rise again, just like him, I feel like he definitely would have a sense of, I can, I can try to save him and I should. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I can appreciate Dumbledore in moments like that. That's why I feel like his death is like really like conflicting because he's a great character 
But his his whole mantra for the greater good is also the reason that his character is very questionable and yeah. like dislikable. Like if you think about he's questionable ethics because of his like for the greater mm-hmm. good thing. And we'll go into that more. We have a Dumbledore episode planned, but um yeah, he's a very convoluted character, I will say. Yeah, I agree. It is nice though to see Dumbledore moments where you can appreciate that there is good in him. Because yeah. he's not bad. No. But you also can't say he's fully good. He's very much in that morally gray area and I like seeing the these parts like this where it's like yeah he was a good he was on the right side he was Mm -hmm. a good person he just isn't perfect which is what what makes for a good character you don't want a perfect person I think so so we are on chapter 28 now Harry is no longer held by the spell um because as he'll figure out Dumbledore's dead uh, so he charges after the fleeing Death Eaters, hitting one of them with Petrificus Totalis, as we, the spell of the episode is really coming in full force today. Yeah. Um, as he continues down the stairs, he runs downstairs straight into a huge fight between Death Eaters and the Order, including his friends. So Ginny is locked in battle with the Death Eater, and Harry uses Impedimenta to fight to hit the man fighting her. But he's determined to catch up to Malfoy and Snape, so he keeps pushing on. When he gets outside, Hagrid is now entering the scene, and his giant genes are helping protect him from the spells being sent to him, which we've talked about before. I still think it's cool. No, it is. Um, It doesn't stop them from using Incendio to light his hut on fire, which Fang is trapped inside of. So Harry catches up to Snape and Draco. Snape tells Draco to run, and Harry tries to use Crucio on Snape, but he deflects his attempts, like, multiple times. Harry tells him to stop being a coward and fight back, but Snape doesn't send any spells his way. He's not firing back. He's only using defense. So when one of the other Death Eaters uses Crucio on Harry, Snape tells them to stop because he, like, belongs to the Dark Lord. Like, he's defending Harry. So then Harry, he's like, oh, wait, I know some other spells. He attempts to use Second Sempra and Levicorpus against Snape. But again, Snape stops him and runs up to him, who is, Harry's now crumpled on the floor. He's, like, deflected, like, he's laying down. And Snape goes, you dare use my own spells against me, Potter. It was I who invented them. I, the Half-Blood Prince. Dun, dun, dun! What a freaking reveal! What a freaking reveal! Because, like, obviously we know this because we've read it, we've watched, we all know it's he's the Half-Blood Prince. But what a great reveal. Like, what a great mystery. No, I agree. I think in this one, and I think it... Again, I feel like this is a book where we have a lot of discussions about characters that are in the middle of the good and bad, and Dumbledore's one, and Snape is also one, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we've grown up with Snape being a bully to these kids, we see him, you know, with the Marauders a little bit, calling William Mudblood, we know he was a Death Eater, but we also see this slightly brighter side in him, where he was a genius at potions. Harry, without knowing it was him, revered him for his ability, and was so grateful to him for the help that he was giving him, so it's like, imagining Harry in this moment, and what he's feeling, realizing that this person that he's defended this whole year, and loved this whole year, his hero, is fucking Snape. You'd be like, oh damn. Oh my god, I'd be so pissed. (laughs) Yeah. So, now we have this altercation between Snape and Harry, and Buckbeak now enters the scene. He flies in to protect Harry by attacking Snape, but Snape manages to get to the edge of the grounds and disapparates. Harry is actually relieved to find Hagrid and Fang are both alive, and they use Augmenti to put out the fire, which is why we know you don't have to put it in something. Yeah. Um, Harry tells Hagrid that Snape killed Dumbledore, and 
obviously Hagrid is in denial of anyone at this school or probably in the wizarding world. I don't think anyone respects or loves Dumbledore like Hagrid does because Dumbledore did a lot for Hagrid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Hagrid's like, oh, no way. It was probably just a setup between Dumbledore and Snape and he's fine and whatever. So we'll just like go back to the school like, not even second-guessing at all. And Harry yeah. just kind of lets him lead him back to the school because he's like, you know what, he'll see. So they find students crowded around Dumbledore's body laying at the base of the tower, and Harry kneels beside him, finding the locket, except it isn't the same locket, Slytherin's locket, he saw in the vision, which means that it is not the Horcrux. And then we also... So we have this fake locket, and inside is a note... And the note says, To the Dark Lord, I know I will be dead long before you read this, but I want you to know that it was I who discovered your secret. I have stolen the real Horcrux and intend to destroy it as soon as I can. I face death in the hope that when you meet your match, you will be mortal once again, once more. And it's signed R-A-B. So, obviously the note is important, but in this moment, Harry's kind of like, all he can think about is the fact that this is not the right locket. So they went through all of this. Dumbledore weakened himself to obtain what turned out to not even be a Horcrux. Yep. I'll to read this dramatic ass note. Exactly. <laughs> Every time I was reading it and I was like, damn, I forgot how dramatic this motherfucker was. Like, to the Dark Lord. Yeah, whoever, whoever it is. For Redacted. <laughs> From Redacted. <laughs> um, and then we get to chapter 29. So Hagrid tries to get Harry to leave Dumbledore's body, but he won't, not until a small hand guides him up in a way, and he realizes that it's Ginny, which I know this is a rough time, but I think it's really sweet that Ginny was the one that was able to get him to move. Mm -hmm. So Ginny leads Harry to the hospital wing, where all the other Order members have assembled to discuss the battle that has just taken place. Ginny informs Harry that the body that Draco had stepped over, which we mentioned earlier, was Bill, who was bitten and maimed by Fenrir Greyback. He's alive, but not doing so hot. Um, She also just confirms that no one from their side is dead, and she tells him that she doesn't think that'd be the case if they didn't have Harry's Felix Felices, because with it, every spell seemed to just miss them, which... Wow. Yeah. Literally, when I read that, I was like, chills. <laughs> yeah. Literally, that's that's crazy to think about. Especially because Harry notices it, too. Like, when he's running through, he makes, like, a note once or twice of, like, got nervous, but it just missed them. Oh, mm-hmm. it just missed them. So, that's why. When they reach the hospital wing, Bill looks completely wrecked. And Remus tells them that he doesn't think that Bill will become a werewolf since Fenrir wasn't, was in his human form during the attack, but Bill will never look the same and his wounds will never completely heal because they are cursed. So Ron mentions that Dumbledore could probably get help and that he should because he owes Bill, and Ginny tells him that Dumbledore is dead. Everyone is shocked by this information and Harry confirms that Snape killed him, he saw it happen. Um, They hear Fox faintly singing in the distance, and they all kind of pause to listen in silence for who knows how long, until Minerva comes in, stating that Molly and Arthur are on their way. Um, She asks what happened, and Harry has to once again explain that Snape killed Dumbledore. They're all still in shock, and they wonder why Dumbledore seemed to trust Snape so much, and Harry explains about Snape overhearing the prophecy, and then also ends up explaining how the Death Eaters got in through the Room of Requirement. And then, almost against his will, he glances towards Ron and Hermione when he says this, which is about as close to an I told you so as we're going to get. 
So they tell him what, uh, that they did what he asked, but that Malfoy like narrowly escaped them by using a uh, Peruvian instant darkness powder from Fred and George's shop and the hand of glory from Borgen and Burks that gives light only to the holder. They continue explaining to Harry more about the fight and about Snape um, before Molly and Arthur arrive with Floor on their tail. They confirm to them that Dumbledore is in fact dead and about the werewolf scratches and Molly is absolutely sobbing. But Flora is unfazed by this information and instead like pledges her undying love for Bill regardless of how he looks. Uh, and then this causes Molly and Flora to kind of end up bonding over, you know, the shared love that they have for Bill and they hug and like cry together and Molly's now okay with the wedding. I appreciate, yeah, I was I appreciate this moment because finally everyone seems to like get that Flora and Bill actually love each other. So I appreciate that. Also, I really could have done without the line. Like, I know that it was supposed to be, like, a fun little, like, ha-ha line, but I didn't like the I am good looking enough for the both of us. It did yeah. not give what she thought it was giving. Yeah. I did it, not like it. Yeah, I didn't really like that line either. I think it was a really good moment, and that just kind of took you out of it for a second. Yeah, and you're like, ew. But it is good that they've, you know, mm -hmm. kind of mended that, and she, they, she ha they have Molly's blessing now. Um, and then, the worst part of the whole book... Uh, Tonks exclaims that Floor doesn't care that Bill's been wit bitten, so why does Remus care? Harry's confused. So am I. <laughs> Remus. <laughs> Every, everyone is confused. Remus tries to tell her that it's different cases because Bill will not be a full werewolf and states that he is too old, too poor, and too dangerous for her. He's right. Not the dangerous part, baby. You're fine. But the rest. Too old! 13 years! Anyway. Tonks insists that she doesn't care about that, and Harry now realizes that Tonks was not depressed this whole time because she was in love with Sirius, but because she was in love with Remus instead. Gag, throwing up, in my mouth. <laughs> I hate this. Gross. I hate this. It makes no sense. It doesn't. It's such a random thing that is thrown mm -hmm. into this book. Um, it's a 13-year age gap. Like, listen, I understand age gap relationships, and I know that they're both adults and can make that, like, consenting decision themselves. Mm -hmm. But I just still, I'm like, of all the people, if she wanted to pair Remus up with someone, Tonks just seems... I don't... Yeah. It just, I don't get it. And I don't like it. I don't like the ship. I love Teddy, but I don't... Make another character. Right. If you really wanted it to be, like, if you really wanted Lupin to have a kid and like get with someone finally make another character you have that power you yeah just slip you're like, the author just, just slip her in exactly you know I mean? yes and like of course i feel like this also ties into the theory that she yeah. hated wolfstar and to fix that she killed sirius but to really drive the point home got remus with a woman to like really drive that point home yeah and which didn't was... stop us because bi people exist that was her own grave that she dug because it would have been so much better if Knowing, okay, so we know Remus' story and how Remus' story continues for this, the rest of the series. Sorry, right. I'm trying not to redact <laughs> right Anyways, could you imagine spinning the plot line of Starcross Lovers? Starting with Prisoner of Azkaban, they're in love, they're together, Sirius dies, and then Remus has to deal with that. And then when you get to that final, when you get to the final battle, and then you're like, I feel like it would add a whole other dimension to what will happen. Yes. Assuming I, that they're... I, I don't know. No, I fully agree. I think I think the Wolfstar plotline is one that was heavily... Like, I feel like it would have done a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not only for their characters, like, individually and how, you know, it would work after thinking, you know, he murdered your best friend. No, he didn't. I'm, I was in love with him the whole time. What does that say about me? Now we can fix it, how they can grow together, especially mm-hmm. Sirius having been in Azkaban for 12 years. Remus is the only thing from his childhood and stuff that he has left. You know, so them rebuilding, I think that would have been beautiful. I think it would have been beautiful adding Harry into that, too, because if they're together, now Harry has two father figures that he can look for and actually think of them like that because Remus was always Professor Lupin. But if now he's dating his godfather, then, you know, you can add another layer to that. Like, I just, ah, I hate this a lot. It's no hate to Tonks. I love Tonks as a character. I just Mm -hmm. don't like her with Remus. I don't see it. Right. So... Right, so I'm gagging, and Molly is urging Remus to accept Tonks' affection, and he says that this isn't the time because Dumbledore's dead, and then McGonagall butts in, and it's like, it would have made Dumbledore happier to know there was a little more love in the world. Shut up, Minnie. You know for a fact that motherfucker was in love with Sirius Black. I know you saw them in the hallways when they were at school. Shut up, Minnie. (laughs) Haggard then comes in and updates them on, like, the state of the school and things before uh, Minnie says that she needs to meet with him and all of the heads of houses, with Slughorn now representing Slytherin since Snape is gone. Before that, though, she summons Harry to Dumbledore's office, which is now her office because she used to be deputy headmistress, but now that Dumbledore's dead, that makes her headmistress. So she asks him where he and Dumbledore were that night. Harry does not comply at all, simply telling her that that information is a secret, that it was between him and Dumbledore, and he's not going to say anything. Um, The heads of houses and Hagrid then come in uh, to discuss what happens next and whether Hogwarts should remain open next year, and they come to the conclusion that they're just going to speak to the governors about it. And they also mention sending the students home, like, tomorrow. But Harry argues for Dumbledore to have a funeral since his wish was to be laid to rest at Hogwarts, which, you know, totally fair. That's They should do that. And so they decide that they will do that so that everyone has a chance to say goodbye, and then they're going to send the students home. And then the Minister of Magic is on his way, so before he arrives, Harry asks for permission to leave because he really does not feel like de- dealing with Scrimdor right now. And he heads to the Gryffindor Tower, where Ron is waiting for him in the dorm room, and he tells him about the fake Horcrux, the message inside from R.A.B., but he also mentions that he just doesn't really care for that right now, and he just lays in his bed. He's obviously very upset. And then Harry realizes that Fox has stopped singing, and that he has left Hogwarts for good, just like Dumbledore. And now we're on to chapter 30. So some students have already been taken away by their parents, which is understandable, while others like Seamus refuse to leave before the funeral. Madame Maxime and the Ministry of Magic Delegation are staying at the castle, and Hogsmeade is full of witches and wizards that are coming to pay their respects. Uh, Classes have been canceled, and exams have been postponed, but indefinitely. We don't know when they're going to be taken. So students are in this weird limbo period. Neville has been released from the infirmary, but Bill is still there healing. Apparently he's okay. He just really likes very rare steaks now. Which, fair enough, could be worse. Uh, The trio and Ginny spend a lot of time together now, and Harry tries to appreciate that time, but also can't get the horcruxes and R.A.B. out of his head. And after Ginny kisses Harry goodnight and heads off to bed, Hermione tells him that she was actually kind of right about the Half-Blood Prince. The girl she originally theorized as being the Half-Blood Prince, um, Aileen Prince, or Eileen Prince, um, is actually Snape's mother. So his father was a muggle and his mother was a pureblood. He came up with a fancy nickname to distance himself, a.k.a. the Voldemort remix. Yeah. So the morning of the funeral, Hagrid's chair is empty at breakfast. Snape's is filled by Rufus Scrimdor and Minerva intentionally leaves Dumbledore's empty in the center. So, like, kind of a sad uh, 
yeah. like description of the seating arrangement. And Terry admits to himself that he feels a little pity for Malfoy and does not believe that he would have killed Dumbledore, which is kind of a big step because, like you said earlier, they are kind of enemies, childhood enemies, as much as you could be. So they head to the ceremony, which has a large marble slab surrounded by hundreds of chairs. Members of the order are there, including Tonks and Remus, who are holding hands. Don't (laughs) mention it. That was so unnecessary. I'm choosing to believe that they were just both in such grief that they were holding each other for comfort because they were friends. bright pink again, so... Shut up. <laughs> Fudge and Umbridge are there, which is weird, but okay. Uh, the mer people sing while Hagrid carries Dumbledore's cloaked body to the marble slab and lays it there. A man dressed in black gets up to talk, but Harry doesn't really listen or pay attention as he's kind of overwhelmed with everything. Yeah, he says he he's thinking about Dumbledore and how he, there's so much he didn't know about him, which um, this is going to make it even sadder, but it made me think of Taylor Swift's song Marjorie where she's like, I should have asked you questions. I should have asked you how to be. Yeah. And that's just really sad to, you know, like with anyone. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like he's gone now. But then that made me think. His portrait's there. His portrait's there. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Which we'll discuss this later in Deathly Hollows, but it shocks me to no end that not once... Does Harry fucking go talk to the portrait about the Horcruxes? That's a really good point. Like, we'll talk about it more when we get to the next book. But, yeah. like, that is something that, like, blows my mind. Like, his portrait is there. He's like, oh, I, there's so much I didn't know about him. I, there were so many questions. Go ask them. Go ask him. He's the right. Portrait. He's yeah. there. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so, anyways, Harry notices that the centaurs are paying their respects from the other side of the lake. Suddenly, white flames erupt around Dumbledore's body, and a marble tomb is left encompassing, you know, his body. So Harry turns to Ginny, because apparently this had to happen in this moment. (laughs) Couldn't wait five seconds. Couldn't walk out of the... Couldn't leave the ceremony. (laughs) Harry turns to Ginny and tells her they can't be together anymore, and he needs to do this next part alone. It'll be dangerous for her, as she could be used to get to him. She's kind of like, yeah, I kind of saw this coming. I don't think that, like, we need to break up. Like, I care for you. But she also knows Harry well enough that, like, that he's made up his mind and this is what he feels he needs to do and she can't stop him, which I respect the hell out of her for that. Yeah. So Harry gets up to leave and Rufus Scrimdor runs to catch up with him because, of course, he does. And he tries to get some information out of Harry again, just like we saw before, but he's not budging and they part ways. So Ron worries about the school not reopening, but Harry says he won't come back even if it does. He says he'll go back to the Dursleys once more, like Dumbledore wanted him to. Then he'll go to Godric's Hollow. He has a feeling he needs to go there and visit his parents' graves. And then he needs to track down the rest of the Horcruxes. So at this point, Ron and Hermione tell him they'll be there. And Harry's like, what do you mean? And they're like, we'll be at your aunt and uncle's house, at Godric's Hollow, and everything else that follows. But first, they have to go to the burrow because they need to go to Bill and Floor's wedding. So we end the book with Harry feeling his heart lift at the thought of this one last golden day of peace to enjoy with Ron and Hermione before whatever lays ahead until his final meeting with Voldemort. That is where the book ends. And honestly, the last few chapters of this book had me extra emotional, not because I'm necessarily super emotionally attached to Dumbledore, but rather Harry. And so I guess reading the pain, shock, and hurt he feels is difficult because at this point he's still a child. We still consider him a child and he keeps losing people he loves. He's 16. He is a child. He keeps losing people he loves horrifically and he'll always carry that little bit of guilt that they died protecting him in some way. 
So, and also because the bond that we see with the trio in these last few chapters is just so amazing. And the fact that when he tells them their plan, they don't even hesitate for a moment to follow him into this Horcrux hunting, knowing that they will be facing wizards who killed people much more powerful than him. They, like them. They killed Dumbledore and they're like, yeah, we'll follow you anywhere. So like, yes, there is this element of saving everyone, but they do it for Harry. And I think that that love is amazing. And that really shines through at the end of this book. I agree. Ron and Hermione are the definition of ride or ride die. Ride or die. Quite literally. Like literally ride or die. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think their friendship is one of the better things that J.K. Rowling has created Mm -hmm. in the books. Like, as much as we can talk about plot holes and underdeveloped characters, I think the friendship between these three is something that can be really strong. And we'll, like, get to it when we do the next book, but I even think she does a really good job in, you know, working on their relationship even when they're having, like, struggles and issues. And, like, we'll get Mm -hmm. to that deeper in Deathly Hollows. But I think, yeah, it's that... It's a bond. Like, literally for life. Like, they are bonded for life. And yeah. I agree. Yeah. It feels really weird to be finishing this book and knowing we have one left. I know, right? Like, we've been doing this for... Over a year. Over a year. And although we have, like, the the extra ones in between, it's just kind of surreal to be like, oh, we have one more book left. Which is going to have a lot of parts. Don't don't you worry, worry. (laughs) It's going to have a lot of parts. Um, But still, like, crazy to think that we're, like almost done with the series. Exactly. Especially because, I don't know, thinking about it, like, there's so much ahead. Uh-huh. Like, it, I can't even imagine what it was like to read this book when it came out and then have to wait the year or two that they did for Deathly Hollows. Like, that must have been crazy. Yeah. Because it's like, I finish this book and I go into Deathly Hollows. I know what's going to happen. And I'm excited for it, but, like, I know. Mm-hmm. Like, Obviously, I was, like, eight when I first read the book, so I don't remember much of, like, my reactions and stuff, but, like, it, like just thinking about that waiting period, like, that must have been crazy. Yeah, that must have been... Can't imagine. Can't imagine because we have them all. Yeah, nope. <laughs> all at our fingertips. I can see Deathly Hollows from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, before we sign off and officially wrap up our book deep dives for the Half-Blood Prince, we are going to do our jokes. And... If you would like to go first, go ahead. All right, I will do that. Uh, this one's silly, but I liked it. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Um, how does the Dark Lord eat cereal? Oh, I love these ones. Um, I I don't know. Out of a Voldemort. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Thank you. I love ones that play on his name. I think they're so funny. Um, what do wizards call the game of tag? Oh, I thought I had a guess. I don't. What? A witch hunt. Oh, that's good. That's not at all where I thought it was going. I like that. Yeah. Anyways, that is all for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Next episode is going to be our Halloween episode, which is switching it up a little bit, so make sure you tune in for that. And also make sure you guys follow us online. Our Twitter is at SlitherClawRev. Our Instagram is at SlitherClawReview. And, of course, we have our website, And if you guys want to help support us, uh, make sure you leave a rating, comment, or a review. And just tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast. All of that helps us immensely, and we appreciate it so, so much. Until next time!